This decentralized power concept is very important. The reason why we have the democracy issues, the reason why we haven't seen broader economic opportunity is because we do have this concentration of economic power. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I am using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into the interview today, I have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you as a Bitcoiner to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. It's over four years now, and I'm still using that same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L E D. GER.com. Next up is BlockFi. Now you can get up to $250 in Bitcoin when you join BlockFi. They've launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, then the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on every purchase with no annual fee. It is the smartest way to stack sats with Bitcoin rewards and every purchase. But if you're interested in finding out more and you do want to take out that bonus, you want to get the $250 in Bitcoin, then please head over to BlockFi.com forward slash Peter, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it's Casa, the safest way to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, phishing attacks, there are just too many ways to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again, because with a Casa multi-sig wallet, you get to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, ones which you get to distribute into different locations. And this is going to protect you from a range of mistakes, errors, and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I have been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. Happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S, .casa. Next up, we have my new sponsor to the show, which is BCB Group, who provide online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about my difficulty with finding a bank, a reliable one that understands Bitcoin, and they reached out to me. So I've moved all my business banking across to BCB. And you know what? I could not be happier. It is so nice to finally be dealing with a bank which understands my business and understands Bitcoin and isn't putting hurdles in my way. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. And they also have this amazing fiat network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had some trouble with this. If you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out, then please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Morning, Morgan. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Peter? Good to be here. Yeah, good to have you. Um, okay, lots I want to talk to you about. You're, yeah. uh, you're running for Senate. I am, yeah. Uh, crazy. Uh, <laughs> um, so I don't usually have to do this, 
because uh, a lot of my listeners will know my guests because I tend to just have Bitcoin people on every right. week and they get to know them. Uh, I know some Bitcoiners are aware of you okay. because uh, you, uh, you're you not against Bitcoin, which is great, um, but not everyone's going to know you. So I yeah. think it's best give give everyone an intro, let yeah. everyone know who Morgan is. Yeah, so... My name is Morgan Harper. I'm running for the open U.S. Senate seat in Ohio. Uh-huh. And, uh, and a big reason why I'm in politics at all is because of just some of my early life experiences growing up there. I was born um, at Ohio State Hospital, given up for adoption. I lived in a foster home as a baby and then was adopted and raised by my mom. And we went through a lot. We had that experience of one life or financial shock that just wakes you up to realize how much things can go away overnight potentially for reasons out of your control. And so that really just put me on this path to figure out what is this? How do we make sure people are more protected? I pursued career in public policy and then ultimately in my time in Washington realized the limits of public policy and the need for better politicians. We don't in many ways have an ideas problem. We have a politician problem and that's only going to change if people that are better start to get elected. And you're a Buckeye? I am a, well, So that's a tricky question because I was born at the Ohio State University Hospital, but I did not go to the Ohio State University. So You didn't go to Michigan? I didn't go to Michigan, though. I went to Tufts University for college, kind of neutral territory for that rivalry's purposes. But um, I'm a a Buckeye at heart being from Ohio, but I want to be clear that I did not go to the Ohio State University. I was actually in Ohio recently. Oh, where were you? I went to... Cincinnati. Oh, nice. And had to cross over to Kentucky. Yeah. Uh, and then I went up to Mansfield. Okay, of great. All places. Yeah. Went to the uh, the prison there. Okay. Interesting place. Yeah, well, yeah, what were you doing there? Uh, I was at a heavy metal festival. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah so you got the full Ohio experience, which is great. I've been a few times, uh, and I also know uh, Warren Davison, uh-huh. who you will know. Yeah. He's a Ohio representative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, for some reason, I keep meeting people from Ohio. Yeah. I dated a girl from Ohio. Really? Everyone's dated a girl from Ohio. That's she's, a very common thing. She's uh, <laughs> Probably she, the best experience of your life. She's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. We're still friends. Okay. Uh, and uh, yeah, but she said to me, I'm an honorary Buckeye and I have to stay in one for life. <laughs> so I am. Yeah. No, it's a it's a really solid place. I, I think that... We get kind of lumped in with middle America and then, you know, there's some not so great things happening in our state legislature that don't put the best presentation of what our our home is. But I think it's a place that's full of a lot of good people that have very modest expectations for what their life should look like and have a real strong sense of right or wrong and call BS when they see it. So that's had a big impact on me. They definitely call BS when they see it. That's my experience. Yeah. So, okay, who are you running against? So it's an open seat in that Rob Portman, who is the current senator in this seat, has announced he's retiring, but in advance. And so that makes it so that others know he's not going to be running for re-election, always more complicated when an incumbent is running. Mm -hmm. And we have people on the Republican side like J.D. Vance, Josh Mandel, uh, Jane Timken, they're all in in their Republican primary. And then in the Democratic primary, it's me and Tim Ryan, who's a current House of Representative member. Josh Mandel's a Bitcoiner as well, actually. Josh Mandel, yeah, Yeah. is is a bit into this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the person you're up against on the Democrat side, Tim Tim Ryan, do you say? Tim Ryan, yeah. Is he the guy who won't debate you? He is the guy that won't debate me. Yeah, so uh, not sure what's up with that. When asked about it this week, he said he's waiting to see who's really in this race and he debates all the time in Congress. Not sure how that's relevant for the purposes of this campaign or election, but yeah. I mean, when you're when you're a known, I mean, a little bit, you know, facetious, whatever, but when you're a known, more known entity, you have 
no benefit to further exposure of your opponent, right? And so usually the strategy is for typical politicians is hide as long as you can and then hope that nobody hears about anybody else and then just coast in. But my whole style of politics is trying to hold people accountable uh -huh. and because we have a lot of disillusionment in our political sector uh -huh. for good reason, because we have people that aren't about doing the right thing, aren't about discussing ideas, are mainly about themselves. Okay, so... What are your chances of beating him, beating him? Well, I only get into things I think I can win. Okay, good, and, like this. Yeah, and the biggest barrier we have is just making sure people hear what I'm about because another thing I love about people in Ohio is mm -hmm. that mostly they hate politicians. Yep. And I dislike a lot of politicians too. Okay. And they just want somebody who's going to be real and stand up for them. And so we need to make sure that folks know they have that option in this race and then will vote for me. And that's the that's the biggest barrier. So I mis uh, recently met Erica Rhodes, who uh -huh. is running in California. I can't remember the okay. area. Uh, she's, uh, she's up against uh, an incumbent who Bitcoiners don't like, Brad Sherman. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and sorry, for which seat? Or, um, I've got no idea. Is it like federal, state? Uh, this is where like I'm totally out of my depth yeah, okay, on US politics. <laughs> uh, but I, I've already asked you a lot of questions. All, okay. all I know yeah. is she's up against Brad Sherman. Okay. And he's uh, he's national, isn't he? Yeah, so House. Yeah, yeah okay. I think so. Uh, but the, the question I asked her is because she was great. Same similar things to you, fed up of politicians. Everyone's yeah. fed up of politicians. Their lives yeah, are a lot of people are. A lot of people are. But I think almost anyone going into politics would say this. How do you not get dragged down and corrupted by the system? I don't mean you become corrupt. I mean the yeah. system corrupts your ability to, to be who you want to be. Right. Well, a couple of things. I mean, the way that I'm running gives me more freedom. Yeah. So I am not a party darling. I am not running because somebody touched I kissed a ring and they touched me and said, you get to be the person. We are doing this in an independent way, though I'm running as a Democrat. And so when that, it's a lot more work to run in this way. But what I do is just connect with real people, get that support, and then you have the freedom to say what you believe, not because you've been fed dogma by certain folks that require you to always adhere to the same principles or whatever, right? So one, that, that provides some freedom. But then the other thing that I would say distinguishes me from a lot of people running is I've already worked in Washington. So I've had experience in that place. I worked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau during the Obama administration. I've worked at different think tanks. I know what it is and I know what it takes to get things moving in there. And you have to come in with that independence and a real vision for trying to maximize your time there. And the other way that I try to assure people I will be different is self-imposed term limits. I do not want to be a career politician. Okay. I am only going to serve two terms. I'm, I get asked that a lot in Ohio, and that's a way that I can tell people I'm going to be different. I'm not going to get complacent. If in 12 years I haven't been able to move the needle in any way, or even if I have, pass the baton, next person. Let's get some new blood in there, new ideas. It, it seems to me as somebody, just an outside observer, I am British, I'm not American, so I don't know a lot You're about- You're British? I'm British. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, don't know a lot, I don't know a lot about US politics. I know yeah. a bit, because I, I come here a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I've watched House of Cards. Uh, and it seems sure, to me- Sure, everyone's <laughs> But it seems to me like US politics, a lot of it is about horse trading. Uh-huh. And it feels like that's one of the things that holds things up or yeah. stops effective policy creation yeah. 
How, how do you avoid that? Or is it unavoidable? Is, is this the nature of politics? I mean, there's always going to be some negotiation involved in any legislative process and in policymaking process, right? But I guess the distinction I would make is, okay, so, you know, I worked at CFPB. That's a federal regulator of consumer financial products. And the approach of as being a regulator is you meet with everybody, you meet with people in industry, business, whatever, you know, you're going to be regulating. You meet with the advocacy groups, you meet with other, elect, you meet with elected officials, and then you just come up with what you think is the best policy. And that's what I believe we need more of in elected office. What's happened in the elected office is that for some reason we let people take money from the folks that they're supposed to be Doesn't make any sense. regulating. Very mm -hmm. weird. Mm -hmm. And we don't tell them what the expectations are for their job. There's no accountability, right? So if you're a federal regulator and you just never release rules, that's pretty weird. If you don't bring any enforcement actions, that's weird. There's going to be some consequences to that because there's oversight from Congress. But if you're in Congress and, you know, like my opponent, you don't really have any strong track record of doing anything, you continue to get elected because no one's running against you because we have these gerrymandered districts, whatever. So there's a lack of accountability there. And the only way to me we can get that on track in a different direction is by having people that don't care about it being a career. If you are if you need to be there for 20 years, then yeah, you got to make a lot of deals with a lot of people to be able to say, sustain that amount of time. But if you're only looking to get there and just serve for some period of time, which really was the original intent of a lot of these positions, then you have a different risk calculus about you know how many deals you're willing to make or need to make in order to get what you're looking to accomplish done. Okay, another thing you can help me understand as an outsider, if, if you become a senator, yeah. How much of your work, like what is the split of your work between representing the needs of people from Ohio yeah. and then representing uh, and, and working on policy at a national level, at a well, federal level? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I do think, and this is a pitch I make to a lot of people as I'm trying to get them to support our campaign, is even if you're not in Ohio, each of these Senate seats is a national seat, or at least national in its implications, right? Mm -hmm. There aren't that many senators. There are only two from each state. Everyone has a, a tremendous amount of power for that reason. I think Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema are really showing us that as we have a lot of these legislative battles here right now over uh, the president's Build Back Better agenda and all of that. And so it's a, it's a balance in a way, but I think my perspective on it is we've had a generation of national policy that hasn't resulted in getting as much value for places like Ohio. We've had a lot of growth on the coast. I've lived in some of these places where that growth has happened, where we've had the concentration of resources. And so I'm coming with a, an attitude of, look, as long as we're a country that that's the dynamic where we only have some places within certain regions that are doing well and other places like Ohio that are not, then we are not all okay. And I think that's one of the interesting things that's happened over the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic, this understanding of our collective uh, fates, <laughs> so to speak, yep. and a need for, so to me, they're not inconsistent is the way to put it succinctly is, yeah, I'm going to be for Ohio, but actually the, the fate of our nation is very much tied to how places like Ohio fare. That's fair. Okay. All right. I want to go back a bit. Yeah. Your previous term working at the consumer, what is it, Financial Protection Bureau? It rolls off the tongue. Yeah, right? it does. It. I was like, I was like I even Washington's read... really good at labels and marketing. Yeah, I was, in, I was in Washington last week, well, over the weekend, and I took a walk around DC. And uh -huh. what blew me away is just wandering around and looking at the buildings, and every building 
like with some kind of institution. So we had uh, the, we had the World Bank and we had yeah. the um, IMF. Yeah. But also, lots of these things I've never heard of. Yeah. Like Ronald Reagan's Center for this. Such yes. As, such Center for that. Yeah. Such, such association. It feels like a big wasteful bureaucratic center of <laughs> bullshit. Like I was just like, right. I wonder if you, I wonder if you just wiped out most of this, the country would still operate and maybe more efficiently. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. It was like, well, a- so you know what's funny? Okay. I completely hear where you're coming from. And this was my orientation going into Washington, right? So, you know, a little bit more about my background. I got this scholarship when I was young to go to this very fancy private school in the suburbs of Columbus and what was a pretty conservative environment. A lot of very wealthy people who have a lot of views that wealthy people tend to have about the need or role of government and the uh, belief in the strength of the private sector. And so I was always a little bit out of the norm there thinking, well, I don't know, something's not adding up here about just how fair this all is based on my experience, but let's see. But I went in, my first job after college, I worked at the Federal Trade Commission because I'm like, I'm, I'm told that government is where it's at to try to serve the people and we have these federal agencies, let's see. And I I can't believe that all the people I grew up with were right, that this is all nonsense, right? I mean, Mm. I'm going to go in there and we're really going to provide some value. And I get to the Federal Trade Commission, which has different leadership at the moment. So, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But, uh, and everyone was just obsessed with talking about the water club. The water club, what's a water club? I'm assuming it's something to do with a water cooler. How much you're going to pay to be able to access the filtered water so that you don't have to get the water from the tap I heard so many conversations about that. I thought I was going to kill myself. <laughs> and, and at the end, so I, I started to develop a system of how do you cope where you're having this disillusionment before your eyes of maybe this is all nonsense. Maybe all these people are right. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And every day I would go save a dollar to get a Starbucks tea because that's all I could afford down the street to just try to level out of, oh my gosh, this is crazy. We're not doing anything. And I thought this was supposed to be the seat of power where we actually are trying to serve people. So I was really skeptical of ever going back to the federal government. I was like, I did that. They're kind of right. It's a waste of resources. I don't know why all these people make so much money. And my views of people in Ohio were a little bit on point. And then the financial crisis happened. Okay. And you know, at the time the financial crisis happened, I was working at a law firm here in New York, actually. And so really seeing you know, a lot of the, the companies and institutions that had been part of bringing that crisis on and that they were still doing A-OK, right? And there was this new agency that was created, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And they said that they were doing government in a different way, that it was going to be data-driven, that they were all about serving the American people with urgency. But I had heard all that before. Uh And I'm like, I'm deeply skeptical, but let's see. Because this sounds like it's different. It sounds like what I think government should be about, which is being really efficient, being very aggressive about delivering value, and telling that story, making the case for why people should believe that government can do anything. And I did an interview, and within five minutes, I could tell it's like, these are my people, right? These are people that are really serious about getting things done. That was my experience at CFPB. And so that's why I can authentically go to people and say, yeah, I don't know that I would say that about every agency at every level, but this was an agency that was legit. And okay. was real, and we did twelve billion dollars back to twenty-eight million consumers within just a few years, bringing enforcement actions against companies that had been responsible for the crisis. But you know, my other learning though was, and, and like I mentioned in the beginning, I saw the limits. Okay, great, twelve billion dollars back to twenty-eight million consumers—that's a great number. A lot of people put a lot of hard work into getting it, but every time I went back to Ohio, I was like, 
this isn't really moving the needle. A mm. lot of the communities I've been focused on are not faring any better. So we haven't gotten to some structural issues that are keeping certain people from getting ahead. Who, who was responsible for the 2008 financial crisis? Well, it was a lot of big banks and the people that lead them that were willing to, at all costs, make money off of these mortgages. And it, it almost brought down the, the economy. I mean, I think one of the reasons why subprime mortgages, I should say. I and mean, one of the reasons why people don't have as strong of an understanding of that, of who was at fault, is that there, w- there weren't a lot of people held personally liable. We didn't bring criminal charges against people. One, and so, I think one person went to jail. Yeah, and that is crazy, mm-hmm. right? Because if we break the law as individuals walking around, we're going to go to jail, right? Or, you know, depending on what the crime is. And so that, that so many people stayed wealthy, got wealthier on the other side of it, I do believe is one of the things that has made this deep, deep disillusionment of both government, our politics, uh, power, concentrated power, so prevalent among the general population, but especially places like Ohio. But is there any part of the, the financial crisis that the federal government could be held responsible for? In terms of... Uh, uh, repeating Glass-Steagall? Yeah, I mean, that... That is part of it. Well, and also the whole reason why CFPB was created Mm -hmm. was a recognition that regulators had been asleep at the wheel, Mm -hmm. right? So, I mean, even given the powers that they had, Glass-Steagall was a repeal of certain regulations that would have applied to the financial sector. But even given the powers that remain of what laws government could be enforcing, there was this idea that you have so many different so many different buildings, right, in D.C. Mm. that are supposed to be looking after consumer financial products, including mortgages, and nobody was taking the threats that seriously. Nobody was really looking at the risks and monitoring them that carefully. So the CFPB was, okay, this is a really important segment of the economy. It impacts individuals, families, bottom lines. We have to have one regulator that's going to be laser-focused on protecting people, and we need to have a new agency to do that. Because it was uh, Elizabeth Warren grilling Steve Mnuchin who said that... uh, Parts of the parts of the White House have become an arm of Wall Street, mm-hmm. or parts of Wall Street have become an arm of the White House. Yeah, and that separation between the big banks and the regulators, yeah, seem to have been blurred. Yes, there's a lot of blurring, and this is where also you have the revolving door of people who go into government and then go into banks after, and they're able to make a lot of money off of the policies that they either have stalled mm-hmm. <laughs> or implemented, and it's it's not right. It's not right. Are people trading while they're in these very powerful positions, some of their own investments? I mean, this is, this is not what government should be. And the only way it's going to change is by having people that are getting in there that are trying to make it better. These institutions are entire, entirely dependent on the people that occupy them and, and what, they're, what they're trying to accomplish, the agenda that they set. Because we're potentially heading, well, actually, we're not potentially. I think we're in the midst of another financial crisis right now. Uh, we may have not had a Wall Street crash, but the CPI printed 40-year high figure today of 6.8% inflation. Yeah. We're told it was transitory. Uh, we know during COVID that the rich continue to get rich. The billionaires yes. uh, had something like, I, I was reading an article about the super rich are buying more super yachts as they printed another $2.8 trillion in wealth for the super billionaires. I yeah. don't know the exact numbers. Uh, lots of businesses, small businesses, lost their business here in New York. You wander around. There's yeah, still a lot of places boarded up. All the Irish pubs, which annoys me, <laughs> uh, are all boarded up. Um, and the the inflation position we're in right now really is a result of policies from the Fed and the Treasury. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
kind of moving into the Bitcoin bit now, it's when you hear about Joe Biden talk about build back better. Yeah. What the Bitcoiners are trying to do is build back better, but mm -hmm. they're trying to do it routing in some ways around mm -hmm. politics. Yeah. Um, you're somebody who's expressed uh, an interest in Bitcoin, yeah. maybe crypto. We're just a Bitcoin show, so we don't yeah. focus on that. <laughs> okay. How do you how do you marry those two? In that, a lot of Bitcoiners hold the government responsible for mm -hmm. the position we're in now, because mm -hmm. everybody else, everybody out here is just going to work. They're working hard. Mm -hmm. We can hear them out there, whatever they're building. Yeah, you know, Jeremy drives in this morning two hours. I travel. We're all working hard. Yeah, yeah, but we're all affected by the policies of. Uh, government spending, mm -hmm. and when government spending gets out of control, the policies of the Fed and the Treasury. And by the way, I'm, I'm saying all these things like the Fed and the Treasury. I don't fully understand it. Mm -hmm. How do you marry those two? Mm -hmm. Why have you taken an interest in Bitcoin? Because it really is a reaction mm -hmm. to government. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, I would just add one thing into the analysis of why I think we're seeing some of these in inflationary dynamics is we have also, through government policy over the past 40 years, laid the groundwork for large corporations to have tremendous amount of power over both our economy and now our democracy by bribing politicians. And so when you have these— Can you expand the bribing piece? I consider, I consider corporate PACs bribes. Okay, explain that to people listening who might not be American. Okay, so corporate PACs are corporate political action committees. There were changes in campaign finance laws about 40 years ago. So it, interesting that it tracks with some of the economic dynamics that we're talking about that opened the floodgates for money to enter politics in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so with these PACs, you have corporations that are able to cut checks, literally cut checks to elected officials $5,000, $10,000, this was before and you know, Citizens United, that are then, it's AT&T, for example, just giving a city member of Congress $5,000. Are they giving that because they like the hat that they wore today? No, they're giving that because they know that it will impact their policymaking decisions. And so to me, those are bribes. No corporation is giving money to an elected official without some expectation of return just like us, right? Are you giving, you know? <laughs> but the difference between an individual and a corporation, which is an important one, is we as individuals just working and living our lives don't have the ability to set prices for what goods might be, don't have the ability to set wages for thousands of people that we might be employing. The difference there is power. And as long as we have these concentrated power within just a few companies in every market area that then are also bribing politicians from changing anything about the policymaking that might disadvantage them, then we don't really have government that is for the people. We have government that is for a few. How do you break that? So in an ideal world, you would have campaign finance reform and all the things that people will come and they say that if you elect me, this is what I care about, this is what I'm going to try to accomplish. This is some of legislation that exists that is trying to change the campaign finance laws. I'm a little bit more of a realist there. I am not optimistic about our ability to pass comprehensive campaign finance reform. So in the meantime, our only hope is having elected officials or aspiring ones like myself who are making an individual commitment to not take this money. I'm not taking corporate PAC money. Those are bribes. And if you're taking that, then you are bought and sold before you even sit down to talk about what policy should be. We should no longer be electing people who take corporate PAC money. And now you're starting to see, and it's a bit disingenuous in my view, but mm -hmm. you do have a lot Love of this. people on even the right, you know, in, in my Senate race, for example, J.D. Vance, let's look at him. He's saying he's not going to take corporate PAC money. Okay, well, cool. You don't need it. You are a multimillionaire and you have a super PAC, which is this whole other layer of campaign finance that's been created that has $10 million from Peter Thiel, Facebook 
one of the mm-hmm. Facebook billionaire co-founder on the board, and you're going to stand up to big tech. That's what you want to. That's what you want the people of Ohio to believe that you're going to be something, somebody who's going to stand up to power in elected office. It's nonsense. But why they're saying that is that they know what exactly what you're observing. That people know the jig is up. We don't have representative democracy as long as we're electing people that are already bribed. And so that's a winning message. But what I'm saying is, okay, yeah, it's a winning message, but let's elect people actually are serious about it and sincere about getting to government to do something to help them. And that isn't, that's not the same as what J.D. Vance is presenting. So how broken is democracy then here? We are, I believe we're in a bit of a democratic crisis. Mm -hmm. We are in a, a very bad place. When you put... Campaign finance that we just discussed, gerrymandering that prevents people from actually having their voices heard through the elected process, right? Uh, Electoral college that you have popular votes that are not actually determining who gets elected president. Where are we at? Where's that happening? That's happening here at the, you know, you, you have, so for example, people that are able to win the popular vote, but then not actually win overall because we have the electoral college. Oh, yeah. So you have disproportionate representation coming from states that have lower population numbers than some of the other, the other states, but everyone has the, uh, it's through the electoral college vote, not through the popular vote. So we are in a very, very dangerous place, I would say. And I, and I don't, I don't say it to alarm people, but I am being honest. And, and it's not going to be an easy road to get out of it. But to me, the beginning of the road and why I've put my life <laughs> on hold to do this is electing even one person that's really about people, that's really about taking, taking on this power, that's really going to be honest about the fact that we don't have people that are for us, that we have ultra-wealthy, large corporations that are doing whatever they can to maintain a system that screws most of the people living in this country, and especially in the place where I live in Ohio. Damn right. Okay. What about the role of media right now? So one of the things that's very clear to me coming from the UK um, is the the way or the role that the likes of CNN and Fox play mm-hmm. to uh, heighten uh, discord amongst uh, amongst the constituents that you're representing. Right. Um, I I can have as much fun in New York as I can yeah. in Texas. I can go shoot a gun in Texas with my Republican friends. I can come out here to New York and go for dinner with my Democrat friends. I get on with them just the same. Yeah. I reckon if we all sat around a table... Mm-hmm and didn't talk about a couple of specific policy issues, we'd all get on fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it seems to me that the corporate media is incentivized mm-hmm. to, uh, financially incentivized to sow discord mm-hmm. and create disharmony amongst what your constituents you are representing. Now, like, how do you feel about media right now? Because I know you will need to work with them. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. I do think it's completely, you know, a lot of financial incentives that they benefit off of creating division. Uh, there, there are ways through policy to address that by requiring, you know, certain more balanced coverage, fairness doctrine. I mean, these are, these are things that... The fairness doctrine was something that existed back under Reagan, was it? More recently than that. It was repealed more recently than that. Yeah, but that you have to have balanced perspectives. And so once you get rid of that, well then, yeah, it's a bit of a free-for-all, right? Uh, But I also put some of the blame on the media market and the polarization and people feeling like we're in wildly different places ideologically on social media Uh and big tech. I put a lot of it on that. And that, again, is something that we have allowed. I mean, this is, when we say that democracy is in in crisis, it's because we've had a generation in many ways of elected officials who haven't have an understanding at best or a desire at worst to use government power to actually create 
a market that is better serving the societal outcomes. And that's only going to change by having people that do understand what's happening and are willing to use the positions to check it. So talk to me about big tech, because it feels to me like uh, big tech recently over the last uh, election cycle, maybe Mm -hmm. the last two election cycles, has more favored democratic positions, the the Democratic Party. We saw Donald Trump, whatever you think of him, removed almost unilaterally from social media, the the leader of the free world, which is a strange situation to be in. And it feels also like there is, uh, naturally, because the the CEOs of these companies we know are Democrats, but it seems to have a bias towards the Democrats. Well, I don't know. I I actually don't know That's what it it feels. I I could be wrong. But what, what, what is your issue with big tech? Where do you think big tech is going wrong? So to me, big tech, and you know, and I, a lot of times when we're talking about this, to be clear, Facebook, Amazon, Google, Apple is also lumped in there. Uh, they are controlling critical infrastructure at this point okay. to engage in communication and commerce in the 21st century. Uh, so Amazon Marketplace, for example, I mean, that if you're a small business owner, if you're even a medium, mid-sized business owner at this point, you need to be on there to be able to get your product out. Facebook, to communicate as a, as a nonprofit organization, as a small business, as an elected official, I mean, this is where you're able to reach a broad audience. And so when we have companies that are controlling that type of infrastructure and then layering on top of that the massive data collection that they're getting through surveillance of people's activities on these platforms, and they're also a player <laughs> competing against the folks that need to use their platform, well, that's a perfect storm of predatory anti-competitive activity that makes it virtually impossible for anyone else to compete and also to challenge some of the rhetoric that's being spewed in the case of pla- on places like Facebook. And that has to do, in addition to the, the ad monopoly that they also have, the duopoly, really. Mm. And so that, to me, is a failure of government that we have allowed these companies to get so large. And it's not just punishing the the largeness, it's the anti-competitive tactics and behavior that result from a lack of accountability, knowing that you are too big to really be checked. And so until we start to change those business models, then we aren't going to see a lot of the polarization that's happening on Facebook be addressed. We're not going to see um, companies that are able to enter these spaces and really compete. And that's a that's a major problem. And they're making a lot of money, as we all know, off of all this activity. Before we carry on with the interview, I do have a quick message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by Level, a company finally delivering on the promise of a Bitcoin bank. Yes, a bank on your phone where you can deposit, spend and hold Bitcoin. And you can also do this alongside a traditional dollar checking account. You can deposit your payroll into your account as a US user. And you can even spend your Bitcoin from your account via your MasterCard debit card. I have been testing it out. I've been playing with the app and it is everything I've ever wanted from personal banking. And there's so many more updates coming. They've got some big updates coming in February. So keep an eye out for that. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you want to go and check it out, please head over to Level, which is LVL.co or search for Level, which is LVL in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, we have sportsbet.io, the very best place for online gaming because they're badasses and they accept Bitcoin. Now we are well into the football season and you know what? Things are going all right. It's been a pretty good season so far for Liverpool. Tottenham struggling as ever. 
we always like it that way. Now, if you are interested in football, if you do want to make a bet and if you want to use your Bitcoin, then sportsbet.io is the place to go. But they don't just cover football. They also cover tennis, motorsports, US sports. They even cover esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. Next up is Compass Mining. And Compass aren't just a sponsor. I'm a customer of theirs, and I am mining Bitcoin with them. Do you know what? I've been mining for over three months with them now. I mined about 0.4 Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. I'm going to try and do updates on this every month. But with the price of where Bitcoin is, I'm approaching having, I think, about a third of my mining equipment paid off. I love that I'm mining again because Compass has made it accessible to anyone as a Bitcoiner to get out there and start mining and contribute to the decentralized growth of the hash rate. It was so easy to get onboarded and anyone can do it. You just pick your machines, choose your hosting facility and Compass does everything else for you. Now, if you want to find out more, if you want to start mining, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up today, we have Gemini, who I am now using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. And do you know what? We're coming up to a year and I've still not sold a single sat through Gemini. I am only buying Bitcoin. I am a hodler. That's all I'm doing. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I've also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With a streamlined training view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please do head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD. That is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Okay, let's get into Bitcoin. Yeah. Because that's what the show's about, really. Um, yeah. Okay, no one has an expectation listening that you're going to be a Bitcoin expert. Uh, yeah. But the fact that you are that's good. A, a politician, <laughs> somebody who's running for Senate, has yeah. an interest in Bitcoin, people yeah. will support you and get behind you yeah. and, and help you with your understanding. Yeah. So don't worry about yeah. being an expert right now. Um, some Bitcoiners are very much like, fuck the politicians. We don't need them. We'll route around them. But right. at the same time, we, we know there are congressional hearings. We know yeah. there's yeah. a regulatory lens over Bitcoin and the wider crypto uh, currency industry. So if if in some way we can navigate through that without onerous regulations, it's good yeah. for our industry and what mm-hmm. we believe in. So just as a setup, just give me your Bitcoin story. Like, yeah. How do you get introduced to it? Yeah. What do you understand? Why does yeah. it appeal to you? Yeah. So the first time I started hearing about Bitcoin actually was when I was working at the CFPB. I mean, this is one of another one of the other good elements of that agency was we had an innovation department, more or less, that was responsible for trying to connect with emerging products and companies. When, and when were you there from? I was there from 2013 to 2017. Okay. That's and when, when I first got into Bitcoin. Yeah. So it was, I, it was early, early stage. That was not the area that I focused on. Uh-huh. As we were discussing, we had much bigger issues from uh, many people's perspective to, to deal with, but that was something that was just in the air. People were talking about that. And I'll admit, I was kind of like, I, 
I don't even know what y'all are talking about, right? You know, and the people that were the ones talking about it, are some of them are my close friends. They always were coming up with these sort of zany ideas or, oh, we were in California and we were talking to this person. It's like, okay, yeah, well, the rest of us are doing the work, you know? So a little dismissive for sure. Um, but, you know, and, and, and then I didn't really, I didn't really think much about, it, about Bitcoin after that. But that was my first exposure of there's this new thing coming and we should be paying attention to it. And then, you know, I, I went on after that to do you know, community development stuff and then ran for Congress last cycle all of that. So I've been kind of um, interested in other things. But then this decentralized power concept is very important because after my last run for Congress, I started working on big tech issues, antitrust, competition policy, and really feeling like the reason why we have the democracy issues, the reason why we haven't seen broader economic opportunity is because we do have this concentration of economic power. And it's in the financial sector, but it's across a lot of other market sectors too. And if we can't address that, then we're not really getting at the root cause of what I think has led to a lot of poor economic outcomes in places like Ohio. So that's when I started paying, uh, kind of coming back to it and paying more attention. And, and that is the place of my curiosity. And I, you know, something that you were, you were referencing earlier where how do we marry all of these different views? Clearly, I come from a background of believing in some level of regulation uh, and, you know, on the progressive side of things, if you want to put it that way. But I also recognize what's not working. And this is really important because I think a lot of times politicians, people in government don't want to be honest about what's not working and listen to people. What are people's real experiences here? And so I've just had a lot of people in this Senate run in the last few months and in the few months leading up to it that are saying, I'm all about, I'm all about Bitcoin. I know we're not getting into crypto, but crypto generally too, blockchain. You know, I'm interested in this thing and this has been a real lifesaver for me. So when I have people that are living in the state that I want to represent, that are proactively reaching out to me saying, this is interesting, then I want to learn more. And it doesn't mean that I've got it, like you said, all figured out by any means, but that should be the driver of what we consider and prioritize in government is what people are focused on. Okay. And, and I would just add one more thing. And, and what, what I'm hearing from people as to why they're interested in it is because they haven't felt like they've been able to really benefit from the existing financial system. That this has been, I had a guy that DM'd me the other day saying this is how he was able to pay off his mortgage two months in a row was because of the money he's making on Bitcoin, right? So- that's real life stuff. And we need to, at a minimum, be open-minded and learn more from my perspective as those who want to represent us in Washington. So it's, it's a really interesting thing, Bitcoin, because part of me thinks of it as a very American idea. How in, so? But in that, with Bitcoin, you have property rights. Mm -hmm. You are self-sovereign. Uh, you know, you as the individual can take control of your private keys and take custody of your Bitcoin and you can move where you want with that. No one can take that from you. No one can steal that from you. That mm -hmm. is your property. And that feels to me a very American idea of, mm -hmm. you know, you as the individual having rights. Right. You know, we don't have a constitution in the UK. I'm always referring to it on the show. I very much envy your First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. uh, Second Amendment, I'm, I'm on the fence, but like I'm not anti-gun. Yeah. It's just we don't have a gun culture in the UK. Yeah. And as I've been exposed to other parts of the constitution, I've, I've been, you know, I just envy the fact that you have this. You have this to refer back to. Um, and Bitcoin feels like one of those things that feels just like a very American idea. Mm-hmm. But conversely, knowing what the federal government is like so, uh, and, and everything we learned from Snowden with the NSA and right. you know, the control of the financial system uh, from central government, it also feels like something that the government would be very against. Mm -hmm. Yet at the moment, we're starting to see a number of people either within 
the Senate or the House, mm -hmm. correct me if I get anything wrong, within the Senate <laughs> or the House, or people like yourself, Erica Rose, who are running, mm -hmm. that are starting to become pro-Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is a reaction to people like yourselves just responding to constituents? Mm -hmm. Do you think this is a, a, a reaction to the problems within central government? Why, why do you think this is happening? Because mm -hmm. it was like, we've been following these debates via Twitter but just seeing a, some clashes like, over mm -hmm. this industry. And you think it's accelerated the interest over the last couple of years? Like, where would you put that? I would say even the, what do you say, last year, Jeremy, it feels a bit more? Yeah. About the Maybe last year, it, yeah, it feels a bit more. We're starting to see bigger names. Who was it yesterday? Ted, Ted Budd? Is it Ted Budd? Was talking very pro-Bitcoin, saying mm -hmm. we wouldn't want this industry to go anywhere else. Yeah. Um, you know, we have uh, uh, Senator Lummis uh -huh. in Wyoming. Yeah. Congressman Warren Davison is pro-Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have, I mean, there's loads. There's yeah, a well, growing you know, number. Well, I mean, one theory, speculation, I suppose, but uh, the pandemic. I mean, what's been one of the biggest life-shifting events for all of us yep. over the last year and a half has been the pandemic. And I don't even think we fully understand all the ripple effects that'll come from that. But what I've found is a lot of people realizing through the pandemic that the existing system was not serving them. That everything about their lives, more or less, and especially financial lives and the work that they had to do to have any semblance of even faux financial stability was kind of a, a crock, you know? Yeah. And and people really looking for more control over their lives. And, you know, and this is this is how I frame, you know, what am I shooting for in public policy, in elect all of this? Economic freedom. I think you're right. I think we have a we clearly have a strong, a strong culture of freedom. Yep. But we haven't had a lot of economic freedom over our lives. What does economic freedom mean to you? To me, it means that you have some you have some say over the terms that you need to earn money to live. Let's put it that way. So whether that means that it's easier for you or, or a level playing field to start a business. If, if you choose to be an employee for someone else, that you have some control over what the terms of that employment looks like, that you don't just have to show up and take it. And we have had an economy because of these concentrations of power, in my view, that have put all of the the ben or all of the the power of setting the terms on the side of the corporation, on the side of the very rich people, and the rest of us just have to kind of take it. And the pandemic, well, that blew all of that up. And it was happening in smaller business contexts too. But that's where we see things like the Great Resignation. We see record numbers of people wanting to start their own businesses. Now the sad news to me is that until we change some of these structural issues in the economy, I don't know how competitive you can be in starting businesses. So I don't want people to lose resources that way. But it's through things like Bitcoin that have given people the resources to potentially take more risks. And right now what we've had, and I think this is really important, and this is a, a little bit of a battle I get into with some of my friends in Washington is, we don't have a free market right now. We don't have a level playing field. There's certain people that get to take all the risks and get all the return, and everybody else has to toil away for their whole lives with what? An expectation of what? Living off social security? And you're just supposed to keep playing that game? Well, and pensions are now getting decimated by inflation. Yeah. So if you have one, right? Yep. <laughs> a lot of us don't have or aren't going to be facing one as we get the younger generations, right? So there's a real awakening of just how unfair and imbalanced our economic system has been, I think, through the pandemic and probably would lead to more open-mindedness and also a response to the enthusiasm that we're seeing on the ground of people that are considering alternative, alternative ways of making money. Do you believe people deserve the right to financial privacy? 
I do. Yeah. But I, I guess expound a little bit more on your definition of financial privacy. <laughs> well, that the government doesn't have the right to ask me what I'm spending my money on or track all my spending habits. So I'll give you an example. In the UK, this has been told on the podcast a bunch of times, but I got a phone call for the bank. So the UK government has outsourced surveillance to the banks. Mm-hmm. So if you're making any large transactions, they want to yeah. know what it is. So I got a phone call and they asked me about my transactions. I told them it was none of my business. They closed my account down. And, and whenever you get to a certain point, for example, you earn a certain amount of money, you have yeah. to answer lots of questions. But, and I think there are different levels. Yeah. But do you think, believe the government has the right to track all your spend Every time you spend your credit card or your debit card, yeah. you spend. Do they have a right to track that and question that? Well, I mean, I, I think everything has to have some limits to it, and I, I guess it's a question I would put back to you. I mean, I, I, a lot of that need for surveillance, I imagine the argument for it is to make sure that we don't have money laundering, that we don't have people who are doing nefarious things with different transactions. Uh, but of course, there should be some limits or bounds to it. But I don't know if that... Well, I mean, it used to be, there's one of those reports you have to fill in if there's like a transaction over $10,000. Right. But my belief is that started decades ago and $10,000 is worth a lot less these days. And now there's uh, suggestions, I think it's by Janet Yellen, who wanted to get this down to $600, like hmm. any transaction over $600 that you would have to file a potential report for. Interesting. Um, and so it just feels like a lot of this is an invasion on the privacy and the freedom of an individual right. to have the right to... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm you know, standing on the shoulder of giants when I say this, but I, I believe privacy is the bedrock of democracy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we don't have privacy anymore. Yeah. You know, we don't know who's reading our emails, reading our texts, oh, yeah, what yeah. we spend. And well, I mean, that gets back to, you know, some of the threats I see in, in big tech, that they're able to just collect all of this data about mm. us for free access to services when, yeah, absolutely right. It's not, this is not free. We are paying for this with our information. And a lot of big banks are also collecting a lot of that information too. I mean, that was one of the things we were focused on at the CFPB is trying to advocate for more control, consumer control over our data so that if you want to change the financial institution that you're that you're uh, contracted with, that you'd be able to move that. Because right now we have a lot of these big institutions that benefit from the network effects of just being in there. The more you're in it, you have multiple accounts, you're never going to leave. And then they're just getting more information about you to further market other products and <laughs> and consolidate that relationship. So I don't, I don't think that's ideal because then the other side effect from that is if you have a smaller institution or a company that wants to play in whatever market area we're talking about, I'm using the example of financial institution, it's very hard. That's exactly what we see with big tech. Okay, you have a new social media platform that emerges, but if it's so, it's so difficult to get your data to migrate it, What's the likelihood that anyone's actually going to do that? Very small, only the most motivated, right? And so that's not, that's not ideal. I don't think that leads to competitive free market. I don't think it's protecting our, our privacy, of course. Uh, and that, yeah, that is something that should be protected, but then also needs to be balanced with risks around folks who are looking to do uh, bad things potentially with some of the money transfers. So are you really center-left? What do these labels mean, really? You know what I mean. I mean, right. I don't. Right, well, I, don't. Right, right, I actually well, think all these labels are very scrambled right now. I think right is Republican, left okay. is Democrat. Uh huh. And I consider the reason I ask you if you're more center left because you talk about free market, uh, you talk about uh, competition. Yeah. Um, and so, but you do also talk about the regulatory environment, but it just feels like you're a little more to the center. Does yeah. it feel like you're super woke left? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, you know what's interesting is I come to all of this just through organic experiences, okay. right? So like I had that wake-up call when I was young, like I said, of, hey, something's off here. And let's take, like, this is something I talk about a lot, and I know it's a bit far afield for the Bitcoin conversation, but school systems, uh -huh. right? So I was in an urban school district, and my mom was in that and saw a lot of corruption that was in that district and was like, hell to the no that I'm going to have my kids go through this because this, this is not going in the right direction. But what are we going to do? We can't afford to move, right? We can't get to a suburb, which is usually what people in the U.S. are doing when they're trying to get into, to save themselves into a good school district. Got a scholarship to a private school. And then I get to this private school and I'm like, oh, all these people are good, right? I thought everybody was you know, susceptible to this type of vulnerability, but there's a small slice of the population that just gets to do whatever. So to me, that isn't, that isn't the dream that we're all fed. This isn't a level playing field. And so I've been on this mission to try to figure out how do we get to that vision? What are the policies that are gonna be necessary? And when we talk about you know, some of these political labels, okay, here's the thing that gets labeled as far left potentially, universal healthcare. Far left in the US. I'm pro-universal healthcare. It's not far left in the UK. It's not far left, it, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly, okay. That's far left in the US, why? <laughs> Because we've allowed the, the U.S. insurance companies to bribe our politicians and make people think that somehow this is how we have to be living, right? Mm -hmm. That it has to be tied to your employer that you're able to access medical care. This is crazy. And so that is just a logical position. You can label me whatever you want because I believe in that. <laughs> yeah. But we need to recognize, and this is something that I told this, the head of the business roundtable in Columbus, that if we really care about getting at the 30% of the population that isn't captured in our growth as a, a region, then we need to recognize that at the, at the foundation of that has to be mental health care access, health care access. We can't have people scrambling around to see doctors. That is not a way that you lead a stable life and then can show up to be a good worker, right? And so I, I sometimes get frustrated by these labels because I think, I think it's a- batted that one out of the park. Okay, <laughs> you know, because it's, it's bullshit. I, I'm just going to say it. It is total bullshit. <laughs> I can back up everything that I say that I believe in based on my observation, based on reading, based on experience, and then come to me with a different idea. Let's talk. I'm not afraid of talking, but I am, have no patience for people who are looking to dismiss ideas because of labels that are put on them entirely dependent on the context of who's talking about them. That's a solid answer. I think you're ready. I think you're ready for the debates. <laughs> Come on, Ted Ryan. Listen, I'm going to give you one more question, but I'm going to, then I'm going to let you yeah. go because I know you've got to get to your next meeting. I would love to, I could have talked to you for hours. Uh, and I also wish you the best with everything you're going to do. I think it's nice to see a Democrat who supports financial freedom, supports Bitcoin. I would say forget all the shit coins. We call them shit coins. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but it's nice to hear because there is a definite uh, Republican uh, bias to Bitcoin now. It seems to be have been... Uh, more the Republican candidates or the Republican mm -hmm. uh, sitting people in the Senate have, who are starting to understand Bitcoin. And maybe it's because it's a more I don't know, Republican idea, whatever. Yeah. But it's nice because I, I, I personally don't think it is and don't want Bitcoin to be a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't mm -hmm. be. This is financial no. freedom. Yeah. But I do have one question with yeah. you. How do we help Elizabeth Warren understand inflation? <laughs> What are your what are your strategies for how you have you have you met with Elizabeth Warren? I'd love to meet with her. I would yeah. absolutely love the chance to sit down with her and talk to her because uh, uh, unfortunately she's disseminating misinformation about Bitcoin, which is really unfortunate because at a time where we're seeing high inflation, I don't blame the Democratic Party. You can go and see the charts. The money printer's been through multiple administrations, Republican, mm -hmm. Democrat. Yeah. They're all to blame mm -hmm. for the situation. Anyone who blames one party is a liar. Yes, but at the same time, the Democrats are. The party mm -hmm. that lead in the country at the moment, 
and as Elizabeth Warren has been spreading disinformation, st stuff that's factually untrue about mm -hmm. Bitcoin, but also about inflation. I mean, the price of turkey is going up, and she's blaming greedy companies. No, prices of everything's going up because of inflation. So, mm -hmm. I would love to talk to her. Yeah, if you could help me in any way, I would sit down with her. <laughs> I don't have a personal relationship, so I might not be a great help there. But do respect. Yeah, you know, she started the CFPB, and uh, maybe next year you will. Maybe next year I will. When's the vote? So we have the primary in May 2022 and then okay. general election November, knock on wood, we make it through the primary. So uh, yeah, but you know, just a final thought I'd say is on all of this, we've got to get government back to being about just doing things. I think the reason when I, one of the reasons why I'm optimistic is folks are over the party stuff, to your point. People blame all everybody, yeah. right? And for good reason. And so now we're moving into a generation where it's a lot less about your party affiliation and a lot more about what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. What do you understand what's going on? And can you have an ability to fix it or whatever, right? Or at least try. And that is an opportunity. That's a big coalition building opportunity. That is what excites me about both the Senate race, but then also what we could become as a country. Because we have lived through the outcome of having this nonsense politics, ceremonial leadership, party this, party that, and it is killing us. So what's the next move? And let's determine that for ourselves. Well, I'd love to see it. I mean, for me, build back better would be rebuilding the institution of the government. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and all the uh, centralized forces and bureaucratic elements of government, but you know, whatever. Uh, I could, I, genuinely, we could have done this for a couple of hours. I wish you the best. Thank you so much. If I get to Ohio, I will look you up, and we will meet up and maybe do this again. What part of Ohio? Are you Columbus. In? Columbus. Yeah, ah. yeah. Is it Columbus or Cleveland? That's on the water. Cleveland. Oh, I've been to Cleveland. I haven't been to Columbus. Okay. I've been to Cleveland. I've been to uh, Cincinnati. I've been to Mansfield. Mansfield. And Mansfield's like an hour and a half from Columbus. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, so I had my choice. Do I fly to uh, uh, Cincinnati or uh, uh, Columbus? But it yeah. came down to where I could get a hire car from. Um, but if I'm ever up there, I will look you up. I well, and I live in Columbus, but we're running all over the state. So you got to come door knock with us in the I will, winter. I will, then we'll no, know you're legit if you're door knocking in the winter. I, I, I have to remain impartial. Oh, uh, okay. But I do wish you the best. Okay, cool. Anything we can do for you. Any, <laughs> Journalism, whatever. <laughs> if we could help you with any of your understanding of Bitcoin, you reach out to me, but I do wish you the best. And, and look, we need politicians who come with a message like this yeah. and actually stick to it and actually right. deliver. And too often, it doesn't happen. Or decent people come, like Tulsi Gabbard, whatever happened to her? Because she was amazing. Yeah. It's been beaten away now by yeah. the, the, the party. Yeah, no, and if anyone wants to reach out, talk more. Like I said, I'm trying to learn more. I think it's good that we had a congressional hearing. A lot of people don't know these hearings happen. This is how we discuss ideas. We educate our elected officials, and we come up with what is our collective vision about what's the opportunity here. Yes, protect against the risks, but also recognize that there are a lot of limitations in what's come before. Okay. And so we need to be open-minded. How do people follow your campaign? MorganHarper.org is our website, but okay. then on all social platforms, TikTok, Twitter, IG, and number four OH. Are you dancing on TikTok? I haven't done a lot of dancing. I had a guy who was hitting on me, and then I pivoted that to be like, running, I'm running for U.S. Senate. That's what you need to pay attention to. And that went viral on TikTok. So. Nice. But not so much dancing. I do many things well, but I don't know if dancing Not so much or none at all? You know, in a very free-flowing way, but I don't know if I would put it uh, voluntarily on TikTok. Uh, well, listen, <laughs> Maybe at a wedding. <laughs> all the best. I'll put all the links in the show notes. I wish you the Thank best. You. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. And maybe we'll meet another day. If you get in the Senate, I want another interview. Okay, sounds good. Deal? Deal. All right, good all right. luck. Bye. Bye. 
All right, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, the best thing you can do is head over to my Telegram channel or you can hit me up on my email, which is hello at whatbitcoindid.com.